This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Innocents Abroad by Mark Twain, Chapter Fifty Nine, Going Home, A Demoralized Notebook, A Boy's Diary, Mere Mention of Old Spain, Departure from Cadiz, A Deserved Rebuke, The Beautiful Madeiras, Tabooed in the delightful Bermudas, an English welcome, good-bye to our friends the Bermudians, packing trunks for home, our first accident, the long cruise drawing to a close, at home, amen. We were at sea now, for a very long voyage. We were to pass through the entire length of the Levant, through the entire length of the Mediterranean proper also, and then cross the full width of the Atlantic, a voyage of several weeks. We naturally settled down into a very slow, stay-at-home manner of life, and resolved to be quiet, exemplary people, and roam no more for twenty or thirty days, no more, at least, than from the stem to stern of the ship. It was a very comfortable prospect, though, for we were tired, and needed a long rest. We were all lazy and satisfied now, as the meagre entries in my notebook, that sure index to me of my condition, prove. What a stupid thing a notebook gets to be at sea, anyway! Please observe the style. Sunday, services, as usual, at four bells. Services at night, also. No cards. Monday, beautiful day, but rained hard. The cattle purchased at Alexandria for beef ought to be shingled, or else fattened. The water stands in deep puddles in the depressions forward of their after-shoulders, also here and there, all over their backs. It is well they are not cows. It would soak in and ruin the milk. The poor devil eagle, afterwards presented to the central park, from Syria looks miserable and droopy in the rain, perched on the forward capstan. He appears to have his own opinion of a sea-voyage, and if it were put into language and the language solidified, it would probably essentially damn the widest river in the world. Tuesday, somewhere in the neighborhood of the island of Malta. Cannot stop there. Cholera. Weather very stormy. Many passengers seasick and invisible. Wednesday, weather still very savage. Storm blew two land-birds to sea, and they came on board. A hawk was blown off, also. He circled round and round the ship, wanting to light, but afraid of the people. He was so tired, though, that he had to light at last, or perish. He stopped in the foretop, repeatedly, and was as often blown away by the wind. At last Harry caught him. Sea full of flying fish. They rise in flocks of three hundred, and flash along above the tops of the waves a distance of two or three hundred feet, then fall and disappear. Thursday anchored off Algiers, Africa. Beautiful city, beautiful green hilly landscape behind it. Stayed half a day, and left. Not permitted to land, though we showed a clean bill of health. They were afraid of Egyptian plague and cholera. Friday morning dominoes, afternoon dominoes, evening promenading the deck. Afterwards charades. Saturday morning dominoes, afternoon dominoes. Evening, promenading the decks. Afterwards, dominoes. Sunday, morning service, four bells. Evening service, eight bells. Monotony till midnight. Whereupon, dominoes. 
Monday morning dominoes, afternoon dominoes, evening promenading the decks. Afterward, charades and a lecture from Dr. C. Dominoes. No date. Anchored off the picturesque city of Cagliari, Sardinia. Stayed till midnight, but not permitted to land by these infamous foreigners. They smell inodorously. They do not wash. They dare not risk cholera. Thursday anchored off the beautiful cathedral city of Malaga, Spain. Went ashore in the captain's boat. Not ashore, either, for they would not let us land. Quarantine. Shipped my newspaper correspondence, which they took with tongs, dipped it in sea-water, clipped it full of holes, and then fumigated it with villainous vapors till it smelt like a Spaniard. Inquired about chances to run to blockade and visit the Alhambra at Granada. Too risky. They might hang a body. Set sail, middle of afternoon. And so on, and so on, and so forth, for several days. Finally anchored off Gibraltar, which looks familiar and homelike. It reminds me of the journal I opened with the New Year once, when I was a boy, and a confiding and a willing prey to those impossible schemes of reform which well-meaning old maids and grandmothers set for the feet of unwary youths at that season of the year, setting oversized tasks for them, which, necessarily failing, as infailingly weaken the boy's strength of will, diminish his confidence in himself, and injure his chances of success in life. Please accept of an extract. Monday. Got up, washed, went to bed. Tuesday. Got up, washed, went to bed. Wednesday. Got up, washed, went to bed. Thursday. Got up, washed, went to bed. Friday. Got up, washed, went to bed. Next Friday. Got up, washed, went to bed. Friday fortnight. Got up, washed, went to bed. Following month. Got up, washed, went to bed. I stopped, then, discouraged. Startling events appeared to be too rare in my career to render a diary necessary. I still reflect with pride, however, that even at that early age I washed when I got up. That journal finished me. I never have had the nerve to keep one since. My loss of confidence in myself in that line was permanent. The ship had to stay a week or more at Gibraltar to take in coal for the home voyage. It would be very tiresome staying here, and so four of us ran the quarantine blockade, and spent seven delightful days in Seville, Cordova, Cadiz, and wandering through the pleasant rural scenery of Andalusia, the garden of old Spain. The experiences of that cheery week were too varied and numerous for a short chapter, and I have not room for a long one. Therefore, I shall leave them all out. End of chapter 59 Chapter 60 Thankless Devotion A Newspaper Valedictory Conclusion Ten or eleven o'clock found us coming down to breakfast one morning in Cadiz. They told us the ship had been lying at anchor in the harbor two or three hours. It was time for us to bestir ourselves. The ship could wait only a little while because of the quarantine. We were soon on board, and within the hour the white city and the pleasant shores of Spain sank down behind the waves and passed out of sight. We had seen no land fade from view so regretfully. It had long ago been decided in a noisy public meeting in the main cabin that we could not go to Lisbon, because we must surely be quarantined there. We did everything by mass meeting, in the good old national way 
from swapping off one empire for another on the program of the voyage, down to complaining of the cookery and the scarcity of napkins. I am reminded now of one of these complaints of the cookery made by a passenger. The coffee had been steadily growing more and more execrable for the space of three weeks, till at last it had ceased to be coffee altogether, and had assumed the nature of mere discolored water. So this person said. He said it was so weak that it was transparent, an inch in depth around the edge of the cup. As he approached the table one morning, he saw the transparent edge, by means of his extraordinary vision, long before he got to his seat. He went back and complained in a high-handed way to Captain Duncan. He said the coffee was disgraceful. The captain showed his. It seemed tolerably good. The incipient mutineer was more outraged than ever, then, at what he denounced as the partiality shown the captain's table over the other tables in the ship. He flourished back, and got his cup, and set it down triumphantly, and said, "'Just try that mixture once, Captain Duncan.' He smelt it, tasted it, smiled benignantly, then said, "'It is inferior, for coffee, but it is pretty fair tea.' The humbled mutineer smelt it, tasted it, and returned to his seat. He had made an egregious ass of himself before the whole ship. He did it no more. After that he took things as they came. That was me. The old-fashioned ship-life had returned, now that we were no longer in sight of land. For days and days it continued just the same, one day being exactly like another, and, to me, every one of them pleasant. At last we anchored in the open roadstead of Funchal, in the beautiful islands we call the Madeiras. The mountains looked surpassingly lovely, clad as they were in living green, ribbed with lava ridges, flecked with white cottages, riven by deep chasms purple with shade, the great slopes dashed with sunshine and mottled with shadows flung from the drifting squadrons of the sky, and the superb picture fitly crowned by towering peaks whose fronts were swept by the trailing fringes of the clouds. But we could not land. We stayed all day and looked. We abused the man who invented quarantine. We held half a dozen mass meetings, and crammed them full of interrupted speeches, motions that fell stillborn, amendments that came to naught, and resolutions that died from sheer exhaustion in trying to get before the house. At night we set sail. We averaged four mass meetings a week for the voyage. We seemed always in labor in this way, and yet so often fallaciously that whenever at long intervals we were safely delivered of a resolution, it was cause for public rejoicing, and we hoisted the flag and fired a salute. Days passed, and nights, and then the beautiful Bermudas rose out of the sea. We entered the tortuous channel, steamed hither and thither among the bright summer islands, and rested at last under the flag of England, and were welcome. We were not a nightmare here, where were civilization and intelligence in place of Spanish and Italian superstition, dirt, and dread of cholera. A few days among the breezy groves, the flower-gardens, the coral caves, and the lovely vistas of blue water that went curving in and out, disappearing and anon again appearing through jungle walls of brilliant foliage, restored the energies dulled by long drowsing on the ocean, and fitted us for our final cruise, our little run of a thousand miles to New York, America, home. We bade good-bye to our friends the Bermudians, as our program hath it. The majority of those we were most intimate with were negroes, and courted the great deep again. I said the majority. 
we knew more negroes than white people because we had a deal of washing to be done but we made some most excellent friends among the whites whom it will be a pleasant duty to hold long in grateful remembrance we sailed and from that hour all idling ceased such another system of overhauling general littering of cabins and packing of trunks we had not seen since we let go the anchor in the harbor of beirut everybody was busy lists of all purchases had to be made out and values attached to facilitate matters at the custom-house purchases bought by bulk in partnership had to be equitably divided outstanding debts cancelled accounts compared and trunks boxes and packages labelled all day long the bustle and confusion continued and now came our first accident a passenger was running through a gangway between decks one stormy night when he caught his foot in the iron staple of a door that had been heedlessly left off a hatchway and the bones of his right leg broke at the ankle it was our first serious misfortune we had travelled much more than twenty thousand miles by land and sea in many trying climates without a single hurt without a serious case of sickness and without a death among five and sixty passengers our good fortune had been wonderful a sailor had jumped overboard at constantinople one night and was seen no more but it was suspected that his object was to desert and there was a slim chance at least that he reached the shore but the passenger list was complete there was no name missing from the register at last one pleasant morning we steamed up the harbor of new york all on deck all dressed in christian garb by special order for there was a latent disposition in some quarters to come out as turks and amid a waving of handkerchiefs from welcoming friends the glad pilgrims noted the shiver of the decks that told that ship and pier had joined hands again and the long strange cruise was over amen End of chapter 60